We loved making the first season of Why Dance Matters, the Royal Academy of Dance podcast. And to my delight and surprise, we're being allowed to do another one. I'm David Jays. I've really enjoyed hearing about our guests' lives through the prism of dance. Once again, we have a fascinatingly varied lineup of guests, and this first episode has three guests in one. I'll be talking to a high-energy club musician, a fierce drag queen, and to one of the world's leading classical dancers. And they're all the same person. James Whiteside is not only a principal at American Ballet Theatre, dancing all the iconic princes, but also has two side-hustling alter egos, the musician JB Dubs and the drag queen Yoohoo Bitch. James also engages in ambitious contemporary work. He has a strong social media presence. He puts a lot of digital work out there, including through lockdown. And now he's written a memoir, sparky, funny, telling all, and then some more. It's called Center Center. And it's not like any ballet memoir I've read. It's a roller coaster through his professional and emotional life. There's sex and sexuality. There's even a chapter about his pets. And though James is eye-wateringly frank about the world he encounters, he's most candid and clear-sighted about himself. He's come a long way since his early ballet lessons with two Royal Academy of Dance teachers. And I'm very excited to speak to all three of him. James Whiteside, hurrah, and welcome to Why Dance Matters. Thank you so much, David. I'm so happy to be here. We have a lot to talk about. We obviously have to talk about your amazing memoir, Center Center, and all sorts of big questions that come out of that. But I wondered if we could start with one of the biggest, which is James. Which is more excruciating, dancing in point shoes or dancing in heels? Gosh, well, you know, at this point, I think I've danced in heels more than I've danced in point shoes. <laughs> so I have gone out and done a drag show and been out all night in a pair of really high heels. And I really don't think there's anything that quite compares to a night out in heels. <laughs> then again, that being said, I have not danced in point shoes so much that my feet are all bloody and mangled. So I commiserate with the the ladies in the point shoes. <laughs> <laughs> there is something about dancers' feet. If you get to the end of your career with two vaguely working feet, that's kind of a triumph, isn't it? I absolutely agree. Vaguely working feet is really aspirational. <laughs> It's good to have a goal, always. Dream big. <laughs> I know from the book that one, the question you dislike above all others is, how did you start dancing? And you don't like it in an interview. You don't like it on a date. I'm not going to ask that question. <laughs> but one of the things that has always fascinated me is that if you decide to get serious about a dancing career, you have to be young. You have to be, you have to make that decision almost before you're a teenager. You really have to commit. And so how did you know 
that this was the path for you? Well, I saw a performance uh, at Lincoln Center done by American Ballet Theater. It was their spring gala. My first dance teachers brought me to see the show. I cannot tell you how it affected me. It was so eye-opening, so incredible, so glamorous. I knew pretty much then and there that I wanted to dance on that stage at the Metropolitan Opera House. And what was it? What was the thing that captured you? I think it was the virtuosity mixed with the sort of eventiness of it all. It (laughs) felt like such a spectacle from the theater to driving into New York City to the patrons, to the applause, to the music, to the orchestra, to the red velvet, to the glamour of the whole thing. It was so moving and so important to me. I don't know. I just can't really express the the effect that the art and the event had on me as a child. And you, it seems that you saw yourself on that stage and you really went for it. ABT became the goal, didn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. There was a long and winding road to ABT with many (laughs) wonderful and exciting stops along the way. Did you ever have a plan B? Was there ever a kind of, if this dancing thing doesn't work out, there's always real estate or, or something in your head? No, I didn't. Honestly, I, I had a, a real delusional confidence that I would <laughs> be a ballet dancer in some capacity. If I couldn't be an ABT, I would work until perhaps someday I could be. And, and that's exactly what I did. I had a wonderful, wonderful 10 years at Boston Ballet that were so supportive and taught me so much, honestly. You mentioned just before your first teachers, Angie and Steve, who I think were RAD dance teachers in Fairfield, Connecticut. So Mm -hmm. hurrah, we love an RAD connection. You describe your younger self quite unflatteringly in the book. (laughs) You're bratty, you're horny, you're undisciplined, um, no stranger to a pierced tongue and a sequined crop top. But they really saw something in you and made opportunities for you. So what was it you think that they saw and what was it that they gave you? I think they saw eagerness above all. I was a bit of a wayward youth. I had a lot of misdirected energy and I was rather rebellious. And I think as an educator, good educators see wayward souls and find ways to channel all that strange energy into a purpose. I think they saw something in me that perhaps none of my academic teachers understood or saw. There were a couple that sort of got me, but I was a strange kid and I am a strange adult. And (laughs) they really, really directed me properly. And there is something beautiful about that because we're quite used to ballet sort of smoothing out the lumps and bumps of people's personalities. Mm. So much of the repertoire demands a certain amount of conformity, I guess. But being able to preserve that rebellious, wayward core and channel it, that, that's, I mean, that's a teacher's art and that's also a dancer's art, isn't it? Absolutely. I think when you think about the great dancers of various generations, don't remember the ones that smoothed out all the bumps. You think yeah. about the ones who forged their own paths, whose uniqueness was celebrated whose identities are interesting, basically, as well as their dancing. They go hand in hand. You know, when an educator sees 
uniqueness and knows how to guide it into greatness. That is so inspiring to me and I'm so grateful for my teachers for that. When people advocate for boys to dance, they'll quite often compare it to sports. They'll talk about how it involves strength and physicality and competition. And of course, all of that is true. But what often isn't said is that dance also lets boys explore their artistry and their grace and their sensitivity and emotion. I just wondered what was your take on that? Well, sensitivity, grace, artistry, those are all things typically associated with femininity. Those, for a male, are negatives. I don't agree with that, obviously, but that's just what society feels. And I've felt that since the day I started dancing. And, and that's not great. I think we can do better. Yeah. And it's interesting because queer people have been so significant in shaping ballet's past and, and its present. And you've been out pretty much throughout your career. But I mm -hmm. wondered, is ballet a homophobia-free environment? Does the world come in even there? You know it does. And <laughs> it's also misogyny. It's the vilification of all things effeminate and feminine and ladylike. I'm just hoping people can respect ballet for the art form as opposed to the sexual connotations of the dancers. Did you ever feel that pressure to change the way in which you presented yourself on stage to be more, I mean, it's weird, isn't it? You know, ballet, those classic narrative ballets, the story ballets are heterosexual romances and, and you are embodying a heterosexual ideal as those princes. How did you find your own way to make those characters the essence of James as well as the essence of Tchaikovsky? I'm a dancer with American Ballet Theater with a large emphasis on theater. I inhabit worlds, atmospheres, characters, different types of people. It's very important to me to change my character between roles. A lot of my characters have similar ideals, one could say, and they're generally all straight men, varying from princes to villains to whatever. I take a lot of pride in being able to change myself for the stage. That being said, I feel outrageously comfortable in my own skin off the stage. I am as out and proud as a ballet dancer can really get at this point. And I know that every role I do, there are essences of the real off the stage me that shine through. And that's something that I used to maybe feel guilty about. But at this stage in my career, I want to be seen. When I think about the great actors of this generation in film, they change who they are, but you're there for them. You know them, you've seen yeah. them, you understand them. And, and it all is a symbiotic relationship between the stage and off the stage. And even though you're at the top of your profession with ABT, you're throughout the book, very frank about your failings as a dancer, everything that's unsuitable about your body, everything that should really be working against you pursuing this career. And towards the end of the book, you say really interestingly that it's not your body that's your prime asset, but your head. 
Yeah, absolutely. Let's be completely honest. Ballet can really get inside your mind in, in a way that is not always positive. And as I age and come to terms with so many aspects of my career, my choices and ballet in general, I'm really grateful for the wisdom that develops over time. And so I was very lucky to innately follow these little paths, things like discipline and eagerness, willing to try a sort of can do attitude and dance, but it's really difficult to express how much I believe the mind can help you persevere over the complexities of ballet. It's quite a pressure, I guess, when you're carrying one of those iconic stories, especially when I guess those are the ballets which might have people coming for the first time, as well as connoisseurs, ballet heads who never miss a swan lake of any description. So I wonder, is there a performance anxiety when you're about to step on stage? How do you kind of get your head in the right place? I'm nervous for every show because I have really high standards for myself. I love the exchange of energy between audience and performer, but when it comes down to it, I'm really doing it to impress myself. And if the audience is along for the ride with me, that makes me very, very excited. Of all the people I've ever interviewed, I think dancers are the most self-critical. I've quite often had to really prod a dancer to try and get them to say something nice about their own performances. Mm. I don't know if that's the case with you, but what is the, the pleasure you can take in a performance? Or is it all a sense of not quite matching the ideal that's in your head? So much of a dancer's career is striving to be better. Nothing is ever quite good enough, unfortunately, but a good performance, it transcends sort of time in a way. You have these like very dilated moments in which you feel present in your physicality and your brain in a way that no other activity or anything really can achieve. The mind-body connection when a performance is going well and you can really inhabit a character that is an unparalleled feeling and as well as performing ballet of course you have these two major side hustles, the musician, J.B. Mm -hmm. Dubs, and the drag queen, Yoohoo Bitch, two umlauts, which is so extra. Um, <laughs> but I'm really interested in, in what the, the similarities are, if any, between Principal James of the ballet and Yoohoo. They have such a different relationship to the audience, to the material. They a different sense of playfulness involved. What do they have in common besides you in the makeup and the tights? Honestly, JB Dubs and Yuhu were created out of a need to have a little bit of fun as a performer, not be so serious all the time, and to gay it up. My classical ballet career is straight men, princes. So I created these alter egos out of a, a need to be free to express myself. And they brought me so much peace and they continue to. 
it's really interesting, especially when, when you're YooHoo, you, because you can ask the audience to sing along, you can, you can flirt with them, you can engage them. I guess on stage in the ballet, you're to an extent protected by an orchestra in between you and the audience. People aren't going to heckle, they're not going to join in. When you first started doing drag, did it feel exposing that you didn't have those protections in place or was that liberating? No, it was incredibly liberating. Ballet is perceived as proper, highbrow, perhaps. Drag is accessible. It is your local gay bar. It is boisterous, bawdy, rowdy. I identify much more with lowbrow, I think, in some ways. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying drag is lowbrow. I'm saying society perceives it as such. I sure. love drag and there is something so satisfying about doing drop splits and flirting with the audience and shrieking to my favorite pop divas songs in drag that, you know, you just don't get that on the Met stage. <laughs> <laughs> I guess leaving the ballerina kind of in the middle of the stage and marching to the footlights for a good flirt with the stalls just yet <laughs> doesn't really work, does it? <laughs> no, no, it does not. <laughs> James, Sarah, our producer, would never forgive me if we did not talk about pets. We're going to get into pets. You devote a whole chapter to them in the book. Yeah. And they're clearly major players in your life. But, James, I have to say, their life expectancy is not always great. Um, right. And actually, like, and like a lot of the book, the chapter stealthily becomes kind of about Jane's learning to be less of a selfish monster. And it's uh, <laughs> a theme uh, that you return to kind of explicitly or implicitly throughout. Is, is that really how you perceive yourself or your younger self? Absolutely. Especially mm. in exploring my past, I was confronted by some horrible choices I, I have made. And mm. It was very important for me in writing this book not to paint myself too rosy. I have done some unimpressive things, and um, in a way, it felt good to almost apologize and be frank with myself. Yeah. Was that difficult to go? I mean, because most of us, when we're presenting ourselves to the world, try to highlight our best angles and our best side. You really don't. Were there first drafts that were much more, here I'm marvellous and so is my life? Did you kind of have to delve and dig to get that stuff out there? No, I'm a Leo. <laughs> so I have been told by, you know, my friends who are super into astrology that I already perform as the hero. You know what I mean? Societally <laughs> or, you know, in my friendships yeah. or my families or my career. I am always painting myself in the best possible light. And here I was for the first time ever alone in a room with my computer and my brain. And that's what I wanted to do. It didn't feel dangerous. It feels dangerous now that I know that people are going to read it and they're going to be like, whoa, <laughs> did we want to know that? You know, um, <laughs> it felt sure. really good to do. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of ballet memoirs in the past were 
pretty discreet about personal lives, about professional disasters, about unhappy working environments. But you do lay pretty much everything out there. There's a lot of dick. Um, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of you behaving like a dick in, a, yeah. you know, many bodily fluids are spilt through different <laughs> kinds. Through the, the oh, my God. <laughs> but was there, was there ever a line you felt you couldn't cross? No, because, well, actually, yes. My book is not a tell-all. I'm not telling anything about other people. These are my experiences, and however unflattering they may be, they are unflattering about me. What I did not want to do was write a slam piece about my colleagues or about the art form. This is a celebration of ballet, of classical ballet, of dance, of creative expression. So, yeah, the line I didn't want to cross was making sure that this was my story and that I was not exposing my friends, family, colleagues, or the art form to negative attention. And it is a very funny book, and a lot of it you read delightfully through your fingers as, <laughs> <laughs> as some new escapade happens. But at the centre, there's a really beautiful and a really heartfelt chapter about your mother, who was dealt quite a lot of difficult cards during her mm. life and played them often with grace, often with resolution, sometimes quite capriciously. I'm thinking mm. of the QVC shopping channel years. Uh, <laughs> there was wealth and there was poverty and there was sickness and there was health. And all through that chapter, you talk about, again, often your failings as a son, as well as the clearly, really close bond the pair of you had. Was that difficult to go into? Yes, absolutely. I lost my mother in 2016. Her death is still fresh in my mind. Even just the way it looked is, is very vivid in my mind. So I, I spent a lot of time diving into her life and talking to my siblings. You know, it was the height of the pandemic and I used to just meet with my family on Zoom and we would have beers and, and I would take notes on their experiences and my own and we'd compare stories about my mother, Nancy. And yeah, it was really difficult because I was really confronted by my, my failings as a son, as well as trying to just honor what she meant to me in all of her complications and, and difficulties. And you quite often go into the third person in that chapter, don't you? Was that the way of keeping a frame around those really turbulent emotions? I wanted this story specifically. I, I took extra, extra care in telling my mother's story because, first of all, that's the most interesting is telling a story that's not quite about me. I wanted it to feel like a little book on its own, basically. So it oscillates between the third person and then my own experiences throughout the 80s and 90s and then, you know, towards her death. And it is beautifully done. And you've clearly done a lot of reflecting, as you say, as part of the process of writing the book. You have to dig and go back and, and, and think about all of your experiences. The book starts with 12-year-old James on the verge of that journey into dance. Mm -hmm. And looking back, what would you want him to know? What do you wish you could have told him? Oh, it's very difficult to give 
my younger self advice. <laughs> I'm not sure if he'd have taken it, given no, he would, he, <laughs> what, he, he how you describe him. <laughs> a really good thing to tell young people is to quit comparing themselves to other people. We spend so much time being jealous, envious, wishing we were in somebody else's shoes, but the grass is rarely greener. And instead of celebrating what we have at our fingertips, at our disposal, we're just so concerned with other people. And I was, I was a young person who looked on other people with envious eyes. And uh, it's something I still struggle with. I work toward self-acceptance because I think that's the only way to thrive, but it's difficult. So yeah, 12-year-old James, quit comparing yourself to other people. Good advice at any age, to be honest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> James, we could just talk about so many other things because you know, you've done a lot, you've thought a lot, you've, you've been through a lot, but I'm going to let you go. But I can't do that without asking the final question, which is, mm -hmm. James... JB Dubs, Yoohoo, why does dance matter to you? Dance is my greatest passion in my life and has always been. I think even before I started taking dance classes, the relationship to music and movement is something that transcends physical space for me. And it has guided my life into a magical, magical place. Dance matters to me because it's the only thing that has given me a home, really. Well, that was a ride. If dance is about expressing and exposing your truest self, well, James certainly does that. It was so interesting to talk to him. I hope you enjoyed it too. Let me know what you think. I'm at Mr. David Jays on Twitter. The RAD is at RAD Headquarters. And you can explore its work via our show notes and find out more about James's book, Centre Centre. And please do subscribe and like the podcast so that it finds other people who might enjoy Why Dance Matters. Our guest today was James Whiteside. Why Dance Matters is made by the RAD team of Celia Moran, Melanie Murphy and Charlie Strachan. Our artwork is by Bex Glendinning. It always makes me smile. And there is no one more fabulous than our producer, Sarah Miles. I'm David Jays. Take care. See you soon.